I'm in love with you I say maybe Maybe I'm Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so happy to have in the studio Kylie Reed. Kylie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's uh, We're taping the show. It's January 13th, um, 2020. Happy New Year. Um, happy New Year to you, too. Yeah. Um, I still keep saying it, right? I keep saying like, it, too. Like, it's how I end my emails lately, just when I don't have anything else to say. I'm like, oh, Happy New Year. And do you go with Happy New Year, or do you say Happy 2020, or oh. how do you feel about like the numerals? I'm okay with the numerals, but yeah. Does yeah, it feel either, good? Kind I do of. like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Repetition's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kylie, thanks for coming by the studio. Um, you're in, uh, just before we came on, on air, we were talking about your tour. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so, it's so impressive. Like you, you're, you they seem did. to be going everywhere. Yeah. They did an incredible job. Um, it's exhausting and then I get to talk to people and then it's not so exhausting and really touching. So it's a little bit of everything. It's great. Does that give you some energy back then? Oh, 100%. Your... Yeah, yeah. Meeting people who've already read the book, which is great. Um, the book came out a week before I started going on tour. And so it was really nice to have people already come with questions and things to say about it, which was great. And the book is such a fun age out now uh, with Putnam. Uh, and I saw the release date, December 31st, yeah. 2019. What do you know what the reasoning behind that was? Like the very last day, or did you choose that date? I or? did not. Um, I am not a big fan of New Year's Eve, though, so I was so thankful to have it on that day. So I have something else to celebrate on New Year's Eve, and it was really fun. It was a nice way to end the new, end the new year. So yeah, it was great. Yeah. Oh well, excellent. Well, I'm so so glad you're here, and um, and later in the program. You'll you'll read right. part so people get to hear some such a fun age, and also um, by the time this airs, this this will have happened. But you're in town to read at Literati Bookstore. Yeah, I've never been. I mean, I'm very excited. I think you're gonna love it. It's it. Um, anyway, okay. So before we go, before we start getting into the conversation, here's Kylie Reed's bio in the back of such a fun age. Kylie Reed earned her MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop where she was awarded the Truman Capote Fellowship and taught undergraduate creative writing workshops with a focus on race and class. Her short stories have been featured in Plowshares, December, New South, and Lumina. She lives in Philadelphia. And Kylie, again, welcome. Thank you so much. So can you tell us a bit about the origin story of such a fun age? Absolutely. Uh, going into it, I knew that I wanted a very tension-filled, awkward relationship between three people. That's Check. <laughs> yeah. uh, There's lots I, of tension. Exactly. And I got lucky in that I had two of them. I have a young girl or woman. She's 25. People call her a girl very often. Um, her new boyfriend and her employer. And they have a connection that is very tension filled. But I also got what is, you know, an old story, which is a mom, a baby, and a babysitter or caregiver. And in a lot of ways, that's an old story because of domestic labor and slavery. But I was really fascinated by how technology puts that in front of us in a new way now. And I think it's fascinating to look how he, we respond to that or choose not to respond to that. So I always start with character. I started with the characters, always. Um, and they kind of 
help me figure out where the story should go. And so you said you had two characters that started. Was it was it Amira and Alex that were your your the the two female protagonists? Yeah, yeah. I definitely started with them um, and figured out you know how they would relate to each other well, how they would not relate to each other well, and then I brought Kelly in later and Briar as well. Yeah. And when did you? And actually, I said two female protagonists, but I'm not even sure if that's clear because this is really prime. It's really Amira's story. It is. Or what does it feel like to you? It's so funny because I actually think that, well, okay. I think that's a really great question. Yeah. Uh, So in the story, Amira's a young babysitter. She's trying to figure out her life. And Alex is a mom who's very lonely and has moved to Philadelphia and kind of has this friend crush on her babysitter. And so on one end, in my head writing it, it seems like it's Amira's story because she has the most at stake. Mm. On the other end, Alex, I think she gets maybe six or seven pages of more page time, but also she's constantly thinking of Amira. So Amira's present even when she's not present. Mm -hmm. And Amira doesn't really think about Alex that often Mm -hmm. because she has other things to worry about. Mm -hmm. I love this moment um, towards the end where Amira says, maybe if I had like got comfortable calling um, Mrs. Chamberlain by her first name Mm -hmm. or something. There's just this moment, which I think speaks to this. She wasn't, um, she certainly wasn't obsessed with her or thinking about what was like where she didn't. Yes, she didn't. Totally. I, but she did think a lot about little Briar. She did. The little girl who was in her care. Right. I think they actually, those two relationships kind of go hand in hand and that Amira really cares about the child and she cares about her so much that she wants to set up distance between her and the family. And I'm very intrigued by how people set up distance with language. I think it's kind of like a, no, you're there, you're Mrs. Chamberlain and here I am. I know for me, when I taught undergraduate students, I go by Mrs. Reed um, when I teach just because I like to hear a different name. So I and like I'm in the classroom and this is who I am. Um, the role, the yeah, role for the classroom. Yeah, exactly. Which really helps me. Most my other class, like in grad school, I don't think anybody else did that, but it really helped me. And so I love those little language switches that kind of build a wall up. So you mentioned earlier that you, you love character. Like you, be, you, you actually like begin with character. Oh yeah. Um, so what happened? Like which character came like came to you like was it something like you heard a voice or a line or was it sort of an image in your mind like how ah oh, that's such a good to, question to know that that was the character you wanted to because this you spent some time here oh, yeah. with a novel <laughs> yeah. like when you enter a novel this is like <laughs> right um well there's two things i guess what it's so funny how ca- characters will either like really present themselves to you really clearly like amira did alex took more work um, Amira was always Amira. That was always her name from the very beginning. I changed Alex's name maybe 10 times. It was a little bit harder to get something to stick and figure out who she and to was. to feel right yeah. in some way. Um, something, I don't know if other people do this as well, but when you're deciding, is this the novel for me? I was working on other novels at the time. Yeah. And then you kind of see which one pulls you more. And this one definitely pulled me more. Yeah. So when you were going to Iowa, did you have a germination of such, like this, this novel, such a fun age before you went to Iowa yeah. workshop or did you have multiple novels that might, that were still pulling on you for yeah, your attention? Yeah. Uh, I had about a hundred and 20 pages when I came to Iowa of this one and maybe 50, 60 pages of another one. Um, and when, you know, whenever things get slow, you just switch to the other one a little bit. Um, is it a release valve of sorts? Oh, for sure. Or... Yeah, yeah. But then I, um, 
got into the novel workshop with Paul Harding and I thought, okay, this is the only time we're going to have to like have 10 really smart people read this much. So I turned in like 240 pages then. Yeah, that was that was that's amazing production then. It was really cold in Iowa and there's nothing else to do. <laughs> I just sat there by my space heater and I just wrote. It was very, very cold. <laughs> um, well, because you were you born in Arizona? Is that where I was, you're I was from? born in Los Angeles? Another oh, okay. warm place too, but I went to Arizona when I was seven. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not used to it at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but. Probably glad you went to Iowa. Oh, yeah. I had a great experience. For the for time. Sure. Yeah. Well, well, let's take a short break and then we'll be back to, to talk more today with Kylie Reed. Such a fun age. A novel out with Putnam. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers. We've got Sam and Gina behind the glass and a studio audience of Noah. We'll be back. Welcome back if you're just tuning in. So glad you did. Today on the program, Kylie Reed is here. The novel, Such a Fun Age. Um, Kylie, thanks for choosing the songs for today's Absolutely. program. I love picking songs anywhere. Yep, so great. Whitney. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, I definitely chose that song first because it is the song that Amira, Briar, and Zara in the first chapter of my book are dancing to in the grocery store. So let's... Let's talk about um, yeah. this uh, this first chapter because yes. there's an immediacy. Like we there there's no there's no sort of slow buildup. No, I hit it all at once. For <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> yeah. And, and is that how it started? Was this chapter one? Was it always like this? It wasn't. When, it it was, wasn't. No, I had these very strange, almost diary entries from some of the characters. And then I gave them to a friend and he said, I, I like it, but start over. And when I started over, I wanted this event that was intense and dramatic, but also very low to the ground domestic terror mm. and mm -hmm. an event that's going to join these three people for forever. And so that's what came later. And it seems like in the first two chapters, everyone, every character that you interweave in the, the plot of the story, mm -hmm. i feel like they're all somehow introduced yes. in the first two. Yeah. Either they're on a phone or they're there for just a second. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of a funny 
cinematic thing. I think when you're doing a screenplay, you're supposed to introduce all the main characters in the first 10 pages. Well, uh, yeah. Well, and not to forget where we were going uh-huh. with this, but this, this, um, such a fun age has been optioned too. Yes. Yeah. Which is really exciting. Yeah. So are you working on the screenplay as well? I'll or? be executive producing and learning more as we, as we find a proper home this year. But yeah, it's amazing. It's kind of like this weird extension of graduate school where I get to work on it through a different medium, which is like my biggest dream. So it's great. And how many years have you been with such a fun age? Like how is like it's been occupying your mind, your headspace? Mm -hmm. I would say I thought about writing it and didn't do anything about it for like a year and a half. And then I wrote it for three years. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Okay. So the scene. So deciding to move from, I, I bet those diary entries though were really useful in knowing like the voice of the characters and more of their background or intentions even though maybe they're they don't have a place in the novel itself I I really learned through grad school and through writing this novel that all of those pages that you end up deleting really do inform the work and what the tendencies you want to focus on and the ones that you don't and so when I did the first chapter I definitely needed to know who they were to know how they would respond to this incident where she's accused of kidnapping this child um it's very scary and she's embarrassed and, you know, there's the surface want to stick to who she is, but there's also the need to give her the freedom to not act perfectly, even mm. when you first see her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's scared. She's really nervous. And I don't act perfectly when I'm in that, those positions. And so I wanted her to shine as a character, but also, you know, say things and do things that people wouldn't want her to say. So And also make her more authentic, oh, like yeah. real as a character. Yeah, yeah. So was that um was that a struggle to do or and was that uh like what you wanted to do for each of the characters to make them seem uh whole in a way that you see both positive and also f- f- serious flaws yeah. and those are my favorite kinds of characters who sometimes I just want to shake them and sometimes I'm rooting for them so much. Uh, Yeah, I think an example with Amira is, I mean, I had a very financially precarious time in my 20s too and I didn't have health insurance and so I think that's probably the way that we're alike in every other way we're very different but there's a moment where Amira gets a huge bonus of a couple hundred dollars and she says I'm going to spend this on a leather jacket. And that is not something that I would have done. I was crazy responsible, probably to a fault. But that is something that rich people do, poor people do. And I was like, she needs the freedom to say, no, like, I'm going to do this. It's not responsible. Let's let's do it. So I wanted to give her that freedom. And it also seemed like like some a key part of her identity, like us, like readers getting to know something about her and her age, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Yeah, uh, especially in your 20s. How your consumption says a lot about what's going through your head, what your ambitions are, and yeah, that's a really important point for who Amira is. So let's let's talk a little bit about the scene itself and um, how how you decided to build it. Yeah, uh, so it starts at a party. Um, Amira is with her, her birthday. It's her girlfriend's birthday. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, no, it no, wasn't you're, you're her 26 yet. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. No, you're, no, you're yeah. totally good. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you remember that one. Um, she's at her friend's birthday, and uh, she is a little bit broke after spending, you know, the night doing entrees and birthday gifts and whatnot. And she gets a call after having, you know, one or two drinks, and it's Alex Chamberlain. And she says, can you please take Briar? We had an emergency. Can you please take her out of the house? I'll pay you double. 
She says, okay, let's do it. I need the money. Uh, her girlfriend, Zara, goes with her. They grab three-year-old Briar. They take her to a high-end grocery store called Market Depot. And then they dance to that very fabulous song, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. A, pay- a customer sees them and seems like, oh, that's a cute thing that's happening. But when Zara leaves, a security guard comes over with that customer and accuses her of kidnapping the child. And when I first wrote it, I had more of a flamboyant, angry customer saying, I heard her say she's not with her mom. Who are you? This isn't okay. And when I gave it to a friend, he said, how much more insidious is it when someone is saying, I just felt nervous. Is she okay? I don't know. And that really shaped what the scene was doing. And and so then there's that that character, this uh, like person shopping Mm -hmm. at the um, store, a security guard. Yes. Then who's brought in. Yeah. Yeah. The temperature changes so quickly in this scene. Right. And then you have another shopper named Kelly who comes and then it's almost like another character comes when he pulls out his cell phone. So then there's kind of this, you know, outer world thing. Um, and Amira's alone. She doesn't have her friend anymore. She's the only black person there. And Briar is very cute, but she is a worthless ally to her right. in that moment. Right. She can't really give her the affirmation she needs, and she's really scared. Um, it seems like that when the character Kelly pulls out the cell phone and starts mm-hmm. videoing it, it also moves it into this... Um, well, actually, it all feels contemporary Mm -hmm. um uh and but giving that added dimension where it's like that recognition like we know like this is one of the ways now that maybe people will start being accountable because there's a video um Mm -hmm. record of it yeah i there's so much going on there i think that's right on one hand uh you know, I would want someone to pull out their cell phone for me and hopefully, you know, if in case anything was going on, I've had moments where I've pulled out my cell phone as well. At the mm-hmm. same time, Amira has every right to feel embarrassed. And she says, no, can you put your phone away? Don't do this. And I think that her reaction too is, you know, seeing that phone saying, oh no, I don't want this to be that kind of incident. So maybe if you put the phone away, this won't be that kind of incident. I won't be a hashtag and this won't be a thing. Right. Um, yeah, she's really terrified. And it's important that that, that happens in the first chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, just as a reader, I love something that pulls me in, and I love seeing the fallout from it, and I love seeing who they were before it and after it. Um, I don't know if you read Layla Salmani's The Nanny. I haven't yet. It's so Do. good. Do. Please, it's another nanny book that deals with race and class, but you learn very quickly there's been a murder like on the first page. And I was like, oh, well, I'm in. I'm, I'm ready to go. So I do love that. Um, but I also like to show who the characters are with action first. I think that that helps me get to know someone watching them react to something um, in yeah. a scene. Yeah, that always helps me. And, and what did you find out in this one? Because, well, I guess it sounded like you had to, you changed how you first wrote Amira in this scene. Mm -hmm. So you found out something that didn't feel maybe that was authentic to who you knew this character was or. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I love it when characters kind of reveal themselves to you as it goes on a little bit. 
And it felt really, I hadn't planned on it, but it felt really natural for Amira to kind of laugh off the situation at first because the whole thing seems really silly. And that kind of stuck with her. She, when she needs to be, she has to be pushed. She's a really good communicator. Mm. But sometimes she kind of blows things off. She kind of say, okay. Exactly. And move away from it. Yeah. Just like, well, you have your thing with it. Yeah. She kind of is a little bit of a dismisser until she gets pushed for, for a little bit. And I know a lot of people like that, but watching her respond helped me realize she was one of them too. And it seemed like, let's, let's take a look at the end yeah. of chapter one. Cause I think it comes to this moment where, um, Amira does, after she tell asks Kelly to delete the video from his phone, mm-hmm. she does, she, she texts Zara. Yeah. Right? So Zara comes over. Um, and they're sitting in the bathroom and it's exactly what you said. She kind of tries to make a joke about it, um, but she's really upset. And, and she starts to to cry. Yeah. Yeah. Zara says that could have been really bad and she kind of can't like just joke about it anymore. Yeah. Cause it, cause it could be. And mm-hmm. so, um, let's, um, with, when you were building this with the plot, mm-hmm. how, because it, when I started even writing down different characters, that's why I was like, I think everybody important is in those first, you know, couple of chapters mm-hmm. um, that come back in different ways and ways that you don't even expect, like, um, like the co-anchor, yeah. Alex Chamberlain's husband, Peter, his co-anchor, Lainey Thacker, actually has quite and it, like she has quite a role to play yeah. in yeah, this. Yeah, she comes back a lot. I think that she's also... She's someone who, when you see her standing next to Alex and get Alex's thoughts on her, I think you learn a lot about Alex in those moments. Yeah, Lainey was fun to write. And and all, some of the, the things about Alex that are definitely not her best side. Yeah, I think, you know, she she's so lonely. And I think it might, might even be worse when you're so lonely and you want companionship and someone's presenting companionship to you and you just don't want it. Right. <laughs> like, no, wait, not right. that kind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Even though you need it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. not this. She kind of thinks she's too cool for a lady. Yeah. Um, but, Cause she has the, the, the business, mm-hmm. let her speak. Yep. And she's, you know, been making a name for herself. That's drawn the attention. Um, the novel's time period is uh, when Hillary Clinton is right. running for president. Um, so, but thinking about plot and how it moves, Kylie, how, like, did you, were you writing to discover as you were moving through these scenes or did you have a sense of some points? It's so funny. It's so, sorry, you're doing with your hands oh, some right. points and that's exactly <laughs> what my pages looked like. <laughs> I was oh, trying yeah. to make these points. Um, but I will say it changed all the time. And so first I remember and. I moved around a lot when I was writing it I, in New York, Arkansas, and Iowa. I remember three distinct times when I was writing out the plot, and I thought, this isn't going to work. And I just, But then you go to something else, and you come back and say, okay, wait, maybe if I change this around, this will work. So, yes, I do write plot out. I liked going between the two women and figuring out what that looked like. Um, there were scenes towards the end of it where I had said, okay, this one's always going to happen in the Chamberlain house. But when I got to write it... I was like, no, that wouldn't make sense. It has to happen in Amira's apartment. So these things change, but I do love to draw plots out. I mean, there's no shortage of plot in here. I right. always love it. Yeah. And and so, well, it moves, the novel moves so quickly. You're pulled through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's something to do with the, how you're structuring it too. Like those end moments of the chapters that right. pull you in. It, um, and were there any of... Um, 
but when you when you make the plot and and envision it um how do you um how are some of those points like could you say a couple of what it looks like like would it say um yeah i don't know would it be almost no, like a, a chronological question. thing that you chron- that, I, of I probably that time period wrote out what i thought the plot was going to be maybe 70 times or so and then as far as structure goes too we had the whole story, but the order of it and how you deploy information to the reader for the best read is really interesting, too. That's where my editor came in. And I remember she said, OK, I think we need to fool around with these first six chapters. So I wrote out the chapters on Post-its in two different ways, and I put them up in my room, and I sent her a picture and said, here's two ways I think we could do this. And she took them home and came back and was like, I have a new way. It's not the way that you thought we could do it at all. But her way was best. And so, and it yeah. made sense to you, like it when you really saw did. the movement of it. So yeah. would that be like the moving forward and backwards in time at different? Yes. And let's take yeah. a short break and yeah. let's pick up with that. That sounds great. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, today on the program, Kylie Reed is here. Such a fun age. Kylie's debut novel. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be back. I'll cry it away Don't you 
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, um, I'm happy you did. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today on the program. Kylie Reed is here. Um, Kylie, thanks for choosing this song. Um, yeah. Why that song? What? Uh, I we- mean, it's Salon. She's just so good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one is not in the novel. I think I just chose it because I liked it. And Cranes in the Sky is a really nice title. So, yeah. And it's very, it feels like it, it's very evocative too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she is such an interesting storyteller as well throughout her music. She's, I feel like this doesn't happen very often where I can listen to an entire album and understand what they were trying to do throughout it. Um, so yeah, she's one of them. Oh, yeah. um, so before the break, we were talking about plot. Yeah. I and, love plot, so and, that's great. <laughs> let's go back to that a little yeah. bit more. Um, and, and then let's hear some of okay, great. such a fun age. Um, so when, when, you're, when you're finding those moments, um, when you're thinking, okay, this can't take place in Alex Chamberlain's house. Mm-hmm. This scene has to take place in Amira's apartment. And when you said that, I'm wondering if that's the scene when Alex comes over and then she mentions something about Amira's couch or so. Yes. Is yes. Okay. Totally. Yeah. I had always probably for a year imagined that conversation happening in the Chamberlain house. And then when I really thought about where Amira was mentally, I was like, she would never leave her apartment in that scene. And I need to bring Alex to her. So there were definitely changes like that. I always feel like if you, I draw out my plots or in and try and stick to them. But if it's going perfectly, something's wrong. <laughs> I, I, you have to listen to what the story is telling you. Um, and so there were a lot of changes like that. Yeah. And when you say, listen to what the story is telling you, can you say more? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, it always happens. You write out, well, for me, I write out the plot that I want to have And then I become really excited to write certain scenes and other scenes. I'm like, oh, I'll put that away for right now. I probably shouldn't have that scene in there. If I'm not excited to write it, (laughs) there's probably no point. Or what is it about it that's boring me? You know, like there's a weird thing where you have to listen to what is serving the story and the reader and just take out all the boring parts pretty much. (laughs) Right, right. Or move things around like you did with your editor. Yes, when, which is a really fun game. But yes, and and having like and also like trust having certain readers that you can trust, because sometimes people say things and you have does do you have like a gut instinct like no like maybe it's good for me to consider it but a no. little bit of both. Mm-hmm. I love feedback and I love when people challenge something. Um, with this book, when I workshopped it, some of my classmates said, uh, "Why is everyone talking about money?" Why is everyone doing that in this novel? It makes me uncomfortable. Oh, and you were like, good. Right. (laughs) So I think one, that is great. But two, I did want to pull back on the way people were talking about money. So instead of, which made it a more interesting read, I think. So instead of talking about dollars and cents, it was words like classy or sketchy or um, little words that imply class without saying it. And so everyone still, like, I think we all do talk about money often, but just not doing it in a way um, that they think is obvious, even though I think it's very obvious right. sometimes. Yeah. Well, well, it's interesting because you, because you use as an epigraph mm-hmm. um, a quote from Rachel Sherman's Uneasy Street, The Anxieties of, of Affluence. 
Yes, which is an incredible book. I don't know if you've read it. I haven't yet. It's wonderful. Um, I was so inspired by her interviews with a lot of wealthy families in New York as she asked them questions like, do you think you deserve the money that you have? Um, What did you think that you did to deserve this money? And watching the struggle and the mental gymnastics of people to say, oh, no, like, you know, we're normal. Uh, We go to bed and put our pajamas on just like everyone else. And all of these attempts to even the playing field, I was so inspired by and wanted to have that same awkward feeling in the novel as well. Yeah. And and what does that, like having that tension or that awkward feeling mm-hmm. in the novel, um, that definitely is part of the experience. Yeah. Um, why was that, like what interests you in that, in creating that experience for your reader? Um, okay, well, one, ever since I was little, I love scary movies <laughs> so much. <laughs> I love them. But my favorite part of a scary movie is always in the beginning when something is a little tiny bit off. There's like a little glitch in the system and you don't really know why you feel so terrible about it. Um, But I do think there's a human reaction that those are the things that we end up thinking of a lot. I feel like a lot of African-American people have experienced, you know, really blatant, scary racism. But sometimes the ones that you go to bed thinking about is what did she mean when she was talking about my hair? Did I not get that job? Because right. of this little tiny thing. And I think those little things are really insidious. And so it's right. part of me loving awkward moments when they're not <laughs> happening to me. But also I think that they um, are really symbolic. And were you were you um, conscious of also giving almost each of the characters some of those moments? Although I can't really think of Amira doing anything to anyone to create that sort of um, experience, like, um, giving anyone an awkward feeling. You know, yeah, uh, I don't think, or, I, or, or I mean, does. she, or well, by the end of the story, <laughs> she's decided what she's going to do mm-hmm. um, in response right. to something that's been done to her. I'm just being cagey, that's so fine. that's like that's no, like spoiler <laughs> alerts yeah. or so. I think we may have been talking about this a little bit. Amir doesn't really seem to. Um, put anyone else in that position. But Amira has this little bit of a tick that she does where she kind of can't, um, she almost makes a joke about something. Um, And there's one scene where it's like a big dramatic scene and her way of acknowledging it is going, sorry, this is weird. (laughs) You know, it's it's kind of this like fifth grade boy. And I've got to go. Yeah, I'm getting the Ubers here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. She kind of does this little like blase acknowledgement that is a little awkward. I think it's a little awkward, but I've heard a lot of people do that, myself included. So yeah, completely another human moment. Yeah, right. That's always the goal. Well, well, Kylie, do you mind reading something for us so we can we can hear? Absolutely. Such a fun age. I don't really think I need to introduce it. Can I just dive in? Yeah. Okay. Alex told Amira she could take the wine glass into the bathroom with Briar, that she did it all the time. She hadn't eaten lunch. She, she hadn't eaten since lunch. She'd lost five pounds since her very loving and supportive intervention. And as she sipped her glass of wine, cleaned up toys from the kitchen table, and listened to Amira give Briar a quick bath, she sensed those lax and wonderful feelings of decorum leaving her body. She lit two candles on the kitchen counter. She turned on a playlist with Fleetwood Mac and Tracy Chapman. And as she turned off the bright kitchen lights and left the chandelier blushing over the table, 
Alex recognized that she was very much courting her babysitter. But the evening reminded her of Fridays with Rachel, Jody, and Tamara. She hadn't poured a glass of wine for another woman in months. Amira emerged with a few picture books beneath her arm, a glass half full, and briar in tow, changed into her pajamas and wrapped in her tattered white blanket. Amira stopped at the kitchen counter and took another sip of her wine. This is really good, she said. I like it too. From the table, Alex held up her glass and looked at the color. In the other arm, Catherine was receiving a bottle, which Alex administered with one hand. Are you a wine person or no? I mean, I like it, Amira said. She set her glass at the other end of the table, then took the books from underneath her arm and set those down too. But I'm used to drinking, like, boxed wine, so yeah, I'm no connoisseur. There were moments like this that Alex tried to breeze over, but they got stuck somewhere between her heart and her ears. She knew Amira had gone to college. She knew Amira had majored in English. But sometimes, after seeing her paused songs with titles like Dope Bitch and Y'all Already Know, and then hearing her use words like connoisseur, Alex was filled with feelings that went from confused and highly impressed to low and guilty in response to their first reaction. There was no reason for Amira to be unfamiliar with this word, and there was no reason for Alex to be impressed. Alex completely knew these things, but only when she reminded herself to stop thinking them in the first place. Thanks, Kylie. You're so welcome. Yeah. So why why did you choose that section to read? Oh, man. Uh, I think it's a familiar setting. There, I was a nanny for a long time, and... There were many times when moms would say, do you want a glass of wine? And I would be like, yes, I'm exhausted. Yes, 100%. Let's do that. Um, With Amir and Alex, their power dynamic is really tricky. And I think it's interesting how Alex is trying to put Amira into a certain box so she can relate to her. And I think that her intentions there are really to, like, let me know you. I just Mm -hmm. want to know you so much. But she kind of can't capture who Amira is because she sees, you know, her vocabulary and her songs as in, you know, fighting against each other when really we're, we're so human. Um, yeah, I mean, I think about like, uh, I love the movie Moonlight and I loved Parasite, but I also love watching Real Housewives. You know, <laughs> we, we can have these different interests, um, but Amira is so othered to Alex that she gets a little bit confused with who she is. And and it seems like in a way that Alex didn't really see Amira until after the market and like what happened. I like, think that's right. Yeah. Like, like she took her for granted a little bit. Like, okay, take, take Briar. I'll take Catherine, the baby along with me, but you mm-hmm. take Briar. Oh yeah. I feel like she didn't realize that she was kind of using Amira to make herself feel invisible in this place that she didn't want to be in. Um, and I'm so interested in characters who suddenly find themselves in positions of power and they, they don't really know how to react to that. And I think that's Alex at first. That, that would be. We, yeah. Let's take a short break and then we'll come back. Today on Living Writers, Kylie Reed, Such a Fun Age, a novel. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Kylie Reed is here. Such a fun age. Um, Kylie, how did you... Let's talk about the title for a quick yeah. sec. Um, it's it's great. Okay. And it's also... Um, it's also like rife, I feel like, with tension and awkwardness and what other people um, presume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's, it feels like there's a lot going uh, on in this this title. It's definitely a biting title <laughs> uh, from, I mean, I was a babysitter for a long time and I feel like you can't be a babysitter without hearing, oh, how old is she? 14 months. Oh, such a fun age. <laughs> I, I would, yeah. yeah, I would bridle at that, I think. <laughs> yeah. There's something about it, though, when you hear that phrase, you're not really talking to someone that you know very well. It's kind of like, how's the weather situation mm. with a child? So there's that. Uh, there's the fact that Amir and Alex are at ages that they both feel like should be more fun than they are. But Amira especially is really struggling. Uh, and Alex projecting, I think, onto yeah, Amira the, yeah. the fun age, too. Yeah. Or I, the coolness of it. Totally. I, I always love to call that mandatory fun of just feeling like this should be better and, and it's not that great. Well, that's one of Amira's uh, character traits where she's like, why can't I just be home, like have a reason to yeah. be home instead of going out. And Yeah, she just wants, but she feels like uh, she has to have a good reason yeah. and that a good reason, you know, is something that pays well, even though her job is very hard. So yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, but it's also based in 2015 before our current regime. And I think it's important to remember that that's when the Black Lives Matter movement came out of. And so it's very multidimensional title for sure. Yeah. Well, and also at that time, that's when we were having um, like Obamacare Mm -hmm. and like health insurance was a big, like once you, um, well, even now, once you hit 26, right? if you don't have some kind of plan. Oh, yeah. I mean, Amira, that guides her decision making. Um, and I didn't have health insurance for a number of years in my 20s. And I remember yeah, it's scary. It you is. don't know, like, if I got hit by a car right now, what would happen? And I worked at a birthday party studio and I was doing about eight birthday parties a week and I loved it. But I could cut the birthday cakes really quickly and I would get 30 pieces ready for kids with the same amount of frosting on each one. I was very proud. That's amazing. <laughs> It was an ice cream cake, too. It was very difficult. Oh, jeez. But But a sharp knife, probably. And I remember looking at it saying, check yourself. If you cut yourself, that will set you back for months, maybe years. And I think Amira is living in that same place where she's not homeless and poor, but she's really broken. She can't go to the doctor. And so I was really excited to explore what life looks like for her. So when you're you're thinking about the landscape of your novel, like when you're building this world, Kylie, when does that like because that that was a concern like you're I'm excited to to have this as part of it as you know Mm -hmm. what you're saying like when do you know that that's one of the intentions of the novel like the work of this world that you're creating like um I mean I feel like the best things come to me when I'm not really writing it's after I'm done and I'm at the gym and I'm like oh I have this thing at the same time I try really hard not to be polemic or have like you know I want this novel to accomplish this. I I like to be realistic about the only thing I could try and do is have a really gripping novel. Um, But I also believe that some novels have changed 
who I am and make me think differently. And right. so, but I think right. the things that make me think differently don't tell me how to think. They kind of give me more questions than answers all the time. So that's the goal. Yeah. And and is that why it's important to you to have empathy in your writing, empathy for your characters? And It's so funny because I think when you really look at uh, who people are and their bad decisions, you kind of can't help but have you know in the little mermaid if you if it was told from ursula's perspective you would say oh my gosh this poor woman is so misunderstood and you would probably feel for her so much with this and and things like the Rachel Sherman's book on easy street really hit home for me was as soon as you start judging alex for being a, a rich white woman you stop judging the systems that keep amira a poor person mm-hmm. and i think that's where the energy should go and alex isn't a bad person for living a really comfortable lifestyle. It's that Amira is just as deserving and she doesn't have it. And so I try and keep my focuses there, but that honestly gives me freedom to show my characters as really flawed, wonderful people because they're symptoms of a bigger problem. They're not just bad people. Right. Yeah. And, and it's important to um, like understand the characters um, in this way. I think so. They just become so much more interesting (laughs) in that way. Um, Like there's characters in my novel who really tiptoe the line between fetishizing someone, but also really caring for someone. Are you talking about Kelly? I am. Um, I I feel like I struggle with his character. Right. I mean, I think there's a few things going on. As a reader. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on one end, Amir is 25 and she's not trying to meet her soulmate. Right. So she's like, this guy is really hot. Like, let's see where this goes. Um, on the other end, um, you know, he does tiptoe this line between being really sweet and caring about her and also having a bit of a self-satisfactory way about his feelings. And I think those feelings exist really harmoniously within people. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted readers to say I struggled with this. Yeah. I, I think Amir is doing the same thing. Well, in the world of the novel, at such a fun age, um, I'm not sure that Kelly has a struggle. Like, I don't think he has a self-awareness. Or at least yeah. that's what... I'm not sure. As a, a, I don't know either. A um, reader, that's what... I think that he's coming from a place where he is one of those people that can acknowledge that white supremacy exists. But I don't think that he understands that he benefits from it. The privilege. And contributes to it. Um but I mean, also from Amira's perspective, he's really hot, yeah. really charming, <laughs> so and that's clear yeah. throughout this. Yeah. And and her friend's response to him, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so, what what is what are your current projects right now? Because earlier, Kylie, you mentioned sometimes you have like a couple of novels going. Is that the way you work? Is that it was before? Um, now that I have time to write, I'm just digging right in, which is great. So I am starting on novel number two, but for me in the beginning, that means a lot of reading and just trying to soak up as much information as I can. Can you say something about that? Because sometimes when people think about writing novels, like young writers might think, Oh, I'm just going to write it. But you're saying you've got a research component. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I think there's there's so many uh, interviews that say what are your, what's your best advice for for writers and I have to say it's reading nonfiction. I never thought that that would be the thing for me. I always thought like, you know, because I love a novel, I love something that pulls me in. But when I take information from the experts and put it into my fiction, it's 
it just serves my writing so much more. And so this is the period where I'm trying to gather information. And sometimes it's interviewing people. I interviewed a lot of my students at University of Iowa, which was really fun. Um, and sometimes it's watching movies. Sometimes it's, you know, ditching my music and sitting somewhere or traveling um, if I can. And so that's where we're at right now. And to like actually go to a place to see if it if the landscape or something about it figures into oh, the, yeah. the novels world. That's what I did with this one. I went to Philadelphia twice because I was living in Iowa at the time. And I just wanted to make sure that I had the feel right. And so all of those things help. And now you live in Philly. I know. I liked it so much <laughs> I moved there. Really? <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Um, I went there once in 2015 to see a Beyonce concert and it was really good. And I knew I wanted to base the book there. Uh, I went back to do research twice and then my husband and I went back to and we were like, this place is rad. Let's, let's move here. So, now we're there. So inadvertently, now living writers supporting Philadelphia public. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It worked out. Well, yeah. Kylie, thanks so much for talking Thank you today. For me. This oh, was lovely. Go, please come back. Absolutely. Or, or call us on the phone, whatever. Yes. Uh, <laughs> such a fun age. Uh, Kylie Reed's debut novel. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Um, thanks for listening out there, everyone. Um, thanks to Sydney, Elena. Katie at Putnam. Um, thanks to Sam and Gina. Thanks to Frank Uli for post-production. Um, yeah, and again, thanks all you out there for listening. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
WCBN FM Ann Arbor and live from the University of Michigan Student Activities Building Prod A this is the Daily Sports Report welcome everyone my name is Ross Kaufman and I'll be your host this afternoon we got a full half hour plus a few minutes today to talk sports sports and all things sports Tonight we have Max Bernstein and, of course, the, the, the notorious Nabil as our panelist. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Oh, we're good. 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 I don't know if I'm notorious, but the notorious. No, the- I'd call myself more nice, <laughs> nice Nabil. <laughs> <laughs> more so than notorious. I, I appreciate it. I, I don't know. Like, I, you got, don't you have like, a few nicknames going? Like, what are you now? Like, that's the. There was there was at one point I was the king of the north, but. Instead of King of the North, it was King of WCVN in the North. Okay. Yeah. I know. I, I came up with the, the Notorious Nabil. I don't know. I thought it had a ring to it, but I no, guess not. No, it's actually not bad. It's not bad. Actually, because my last name is B-A-I-G, not B-I-G. Isn't that funny? 
Ah. Isn't that funny? Notorious B A I G. That guy make myself. Got a ring. You know, I'll work on that for the next DSR with your nickname. But anyway, let's start off with a little bit of uh, Michigan basketball, shall we? So Michigan finally won its first Big Ten conference game on the road last night, defeating Nebraska seventy-nine to sixty-eight. And with that win, the Wolverines have stopped the four-game losing streak and showed that they actually look somewhat competent on the basketball court. Eli Brooks led the way with 20 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists. Franz Wagner also had a strong showing. Also had a strong showing, putting up 18 points and 8 rebounds. Any takeaways from this game, or just generally for our season as a whole, how, how do you think our chances look for the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I don't think Yeah, I just, it, it's so hard to tell right now, because Nebraska really isn't that great of a team, and they played very yeah. sloppy. Both yeah. sides of the ball played very sloppy. That was one yeah. of the worst games I watched, at least in the first half. The second half got better for Michigan at least a little bit, but it was not a very clean game at all. I think yeah. Michigan had, what, 17 turnovers in the game? Yeah, and Franz had like six alone. I mean, he struggled a little bit. I mean, his points look good on the board, but... I don't know. It looked like the team was struggling at first at the half. Like, you know, the fact that they were keeping it close with, you know, dead last Nebraska for um, the entirety of the first half was a bit concerning. You know, even with C.J. Bear. Like, I think the team's in trouble if you have C.J. Bear to walk on, putting in, like, minutes in the first half of a regular season. Yeah, I think Big that's a problem. Although Bear is pretty good for a walk-on. Nothing against C.J., but for a walk-on, I don't know. Should a walk-on be really getting big eight minutes in the first half? Probably against not. Nebraska? I mean... <laughs> I mean, you might as well. I mean, I mean he probably doesn't get to pay. And it wasn't game. a blowout by then. I mean, although, this was a- although there is a stat where like Michigan basketball is astoundingly good in games CJ Baird plays in, but that is also because he plays in the garbage time and in the game. <laughs> Can't believe I'm going to say this, but Michigan's actually got a tough matchup on Saturday against Rutgers. I was just about oh, to go yeah. there. I mean, I'm I'm from New Jersey, so I'm happy to see the Scarlet. Knights oh, me too. Well. I'm just happy you're, too. You're from New Jersey them. too? What? No, I'm not from New Jersey, but. I'm just happy to see Rutgers actually succeed in some type of sport. No, yeah, like for the first for the first time in 40 years, the Rutgers is finally ranked in the AP Top 25 rankings, That's and incredible. they're on track to make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1991. I mean, everything Steve Steve McKeel and company have been doing in uh, New Brunswick slash Piscataway has been nothing short of amazing. I mean, the fact that he's been recruiting. I mean, they've had 13 consecutive losing seasons. He's these Rutgers Scarlet Knights, yeah. so and Madison Square Garden, that's almost like their backyard. Say, I mean, it's in New York City, whereas they're in New Brunswick. Oh yeah, that's I almost like forgot a, about that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's like a semi home game. I mean, I still think there'll be a lot of Michigan alumni at that game, oh, yeah. including my parents. It'd be more will be like it. a neutral site game. I'm thinking. a neutral. Yeah. I feel like it could be, I feel like it could be half and half. A lot of the you know the Rutgers faithful, you know, especially now that they're good, 